Welcome to Columbus Perspective, a weekly public affairs presentation of The Fan. I'm Kate Burdett. Happy Women's History Month. Today I'll have a conversation with the president and CEO of the Women's Fund of Central Ohio about what that organization does in our community and a special event they have coming up. I'll also speak with the executive director of Second and Seven, an organization celebrating 25 years of getting kids excited about reading with the help of high school and college athletes. And I'll take a deeper look at a news story that has recently gripped Central Ohio. Plus, state politics with Doug Petcash of Face the State. This week, Doug interviews State Senator Matt Dolan, one of the Republican candidates hoping to run for election to the U.S. Senate seat currently held by Democrat Sherrod Brown. First up on Columbus Perspective, the Women's Fund of Central Ohio has a mission to transform the lives of women and girls by mobilizing the collective power and passion of all people working together. They have a vision of a world where gender equity is the norm in work and life. Sounds like a lot, a lot to take on. And the person who has done that is their president and CEO, Kelly Griesmer. Hi, Kelly. Thank you for joining me. Oh, thank you so much for the opportunity. Tell me about um, the Women's Fund for those who have not become familiar. When did everything get started here in Central Ohio with this organization? So the Women's Fund was founded in 2001, so um, going on 23 uh, years ago here, and um, it is a public foundation, which most people... Um, have experienced public foundations, but don't really think about what that is. And what it means is that, um, like some of the other foundations you've heard about in the world, the Gates Foundation or the Kellogg Foundation or any number of them, um, there is a pot of money that is managed and then thoughtfully reinvested um, for the greater good. Um, The difference between us and those other foundations I mentioned is that when you're a public foundation, um, you usually don't have some nest egg, no family money, no large donation, no company that has set aside some of their profits for this. It's you start from the grassroots, which is what 15 women did in 2001. They said, listen, there is not gender is a big barrier here. Um, Those who identify as women are not receiving the same opportunities in our world and in our economy that those who identify as men are. And we need to raise some money and invest it in ways that will change that. And so it means that you, you don't, um, you, you, your work starts off much more slowly. Um, you know, with us being 23 years, 23 years old, you know, we started $5,000 at a time with these women, um, saying, listen, we'll make sure that we get this train running and we'll put in 5,000 and she'll put in 5,000 and they'll put in 5,000. But think about, you know, um, you don't build millions of dollars, um, $5,000 at a time very often. So um, it's been um, it, it, public foundations uh, really spend the time uh, collecting and building money. But once they do it, um, the interesting piece is that we're very nimble in actually being able to do the work we want to do, um, which means that there's not a lot of strings attached um, other than the, than the values and the mission that we've decided upon. When people invest in us, they know what that mission is and they expect us to reinvest their dollars. So if somebody, you know, a hundred people give us $5 a piece, they know that we will take that collective $500 that they've put in and we will reinvest it in something they really care about. So it's hopefully a way that people realize that even if you don't have the largest donation, when you pull your investments and your donations, 
donations with others, you can do big things in the world. We see that when people do it for cancer research or when they do it, um, you know, for AIDS research. We've seen many, many um, situations where people have done this collective fundraising together to reinvest in huge changes and often around health-related causes. But we're doing the very same thing in the gender equity space. And there are funds founded by and for women all across the country uh, and, frankly, the world that do this same thing. So it's um, uh, uh, that's, that's uh, you know, many, many people don't understand that we're a public foundation. That's what we are. Um, and then the three things that we focus on are research, um, making women visible. So we, when we collect those funds, um, we then find ways to commission research that makes women's lives experiences visible in the world. Um, it's very, very obvious, especially when uh, one of the best examples is when you look at health-related things, how much women are not present in our current medical data, you know, how their bodies are different, um, who's been researched is a big deal. Same thing historically. So many women are, are just still invisible. And since we don't know their lived experiences, that affects how our systems work. So we do that research to make them visible and to hopefully change the system so that it better understands the lived experiences of women. We then, our second pillar is to invest grants. Um, meaning that when we see programs being run by and for women, we try to give them the courageous dollars to, um, to use their vision to create sustainable programs that will actually, um, um, solve um, some of the problems we're seeing. And um, much like all other avenues, women are less likely to get courageous investments. And so we attempt to make those courageous investments to get them on the road to success. Um, and sometimes we have to fund things for many, many years in a row to get them on a road to success. But we believe in doing that. Um, and then finally, we do advocacy, um, which we um, is really just engaging the community and understanding these issues that we think are so important and that many people um, just don't understand. Um, they don't realize that they have norms and biases. They don't realize that, that we didn't start the systems that we currently live in. They started frankly, thousands of years ago. Um, and so what can we do now at this point in history to be accountable for changing those systems to better reflect all of the people living together in our in our communities right now? So um, uh, like I said, we, we those those three pillars are, are all of our work in the last 23 years has been in one one or all of those pillars, research, grant making and advocacy. Kelly Griesmer is president and CEO of the Women's Fund of Central Ohio. And I love the phrase courageous investments. In your experience, what what denotes a courageous investment from a typical investment? Well, you know, um, just like most systems um, uh, that are currently right now based on on a male experience and very often a white male experience, um, that means that we fund what we know. Um, and that very often means if you look at any of the statistics about um, uh, for-profit funding or nonprofit funding, uh, it's just statistically true that if a young male walks into a room, norms have taught most of us very early on in our life to trust them in ways that we don't trust women um, or people who identify as women because we've just never see even seen it before. Um, and so... Um, sadly for us, courageous means we are willing to look at people, really test our own lived experiences and say, I've never seen 
you do something like this or a program run like this, but we trust in their lived experiences, very often women and especially women of color who have very pertinent, deep lived experiences. And we will give them those dollars to say, I know what you're trying to accomplish. I know you're not established yet. I know you're not even making a salary yet doing this work. I know you don't have a good marketing plan yet um, because how could you? No one's given you any investment yet. We're going to do that. And I, I wish that were what courageous meant in our world, but it is. It's it's really trust. Um, trust in the belief that others have lived experiences that I haven't had and that they should lead us to a better solution. I may be able to raise some funds. They have wonderful lived experiences. We can lead together to create a system that better reflects what all of us need in our economy. So courage is often in our world um, uh, means sort of um, very, uh, it's trust, um, um, very, very, um, I don't, I'm looking for the word. It's it's bold trust in people that we don't know, but we know know more than we do about a particular topic. The Women's Fund of Central Ohio, known for one event that happens, is this annual the Keyholder event that you put on. Yes, it is. So like any, you know, because we are a public foundation, um, we are essentially a 501c3 that just does the work of a public foundation. So we have to raise funds. And so we have Keyholder, um, have had a Keyholder almost every year since we opened. Uh, the pandemic actually gave us um, a, a break that we, a much, a much unwanted break. But um, yeah, we try to highlight through that program. It's, it's, a, it's a dual thing where we have a very big tent. It's a very large event. We talk about these equity issues, hopefully in a vulnerable way. Um, our mission, as you said earlier, is the collect harnessing the collective power and passion of all people working together to transform the lives of women and girls. And so we want everyone in that room to feel what, to understand where they have a place in creating equity. And we hope that while they're doing that and they're coming and having this wonderful evening with us where we, we highlight really wonderful speakers and really wonderful artists and advocates in our community who understand stand and fight for equity, that they'll also make donations um, by buying a ticket or making a donation um, that evening while they're there to support our work. So um, we, we, quite frankly, just like any nonprofit could not exist without a fundraiser, but we also believe that it's an, um, that we've, we've created an, a really important mission moment as well on, on that night every year. This year's Keyholder event is coming up on April 25th. Kelly, can you tell us a little bit more about it? Yeah. So um, as I said, every year we've had speakers, the wide range of people. We've had everyone from Billie Jean King to Whoopi Goldberg uh, to Melissa Etheridge over the years. Um, we always try to focus on um, women who... Um, uh, obviously bring some, someone we might not get to meet normally in our everyday lives, but who has done really big things. And this year we have um, the great pleasure of having uh, Joy Harjo, who is was a 30-term poet laureate, the first Native American and a woman who um, served as the poet laureate of our nation. Um, and uh, she obviously brings very interesting perspective as a Native American woman um, who has advocated. Um, we often talk about 
the intersections of um, barriers in our community. And when you are a woman and also a woman who is Native American um, and who may identify with other other things that the system doesn't often see, um, they bring really interesting perspectives. Um, she'll be in conversation with Maggie Smith, who is a local Bexley uh, bestselling author uh, and poet as well, um, who has done a lot of work about uh, lived experiences of women, women who've gone through divorce, women, you know, managing um, the wealth issues that come with supporting a family. Um, and she does it through her art. So we we're really excited for these two women to, um, and they'll be in moderated conversation with a young local poet named Cynthia Moa. The three of them will be talking about bringing um, equity to life through their art. Um, and and we're, we're extremely excited um, to hear from them. And then, of course, we will be highlighting um, some of our grant partners and, and some of the wonderful work that we've done over the year. Um, and it all happens, uh, like you said, on April 25th. Um, and, you know, it's a, it's a good, tight, good, good spring night out. Absolutely. Sounds like one. If you want more information about the Keyholder event on April 25th, just go to womensfundcentralohio.org. Uh, Kelly Griesmer, president and CEO of the Women's Fund, is there anything we haven't touched on yet that you'd like to add? Well, I think, you know, to my earlier point, I think that sometimes people um, approach work like ours and say, you know, we don't understand what you do. And it's very, very simple. Um, We sit in an interesting gap in the community where we know um, that there are so many programs um, and things that people really care about. They care about young people. They care about girls. They want to see want to see more girls in science. They want to know that their daughter is going to graduate from high school and have a chance to be a doctor, just like she's dreamed. Um, but they don't often embrace the fact that there are a number of barriers in our in our systems that stop even the ones we love the most, no matter how bold we've been in, or intentional we've been in raising those people. Um, they go out into a world that doesn't yet completely grapple with the fact that the system Um, wasn't designed with that person in mind. And so what we really try to help people understand is is that this is about vulnerability. It is something that anyone can be a part of, that um, equity actually um, focusing on those who have the most barriers and removing those barriers for them actually will make our entire economy stronger. We will have less families struggling and more families actively participating in our economy if we remove if we have some harder conversations about why why child care systems aren't what we need them to be why paid leave is an important thing why the wage gap needs to be fixed um if we, we we just need to vulnerably approach those things and say because number one we all know someone that will benefit from us really intentionally focusing on these barriers and removing them and two we're all going to be better off the Central Ohio, Ohio, and, and frankly, our whole nation and world will be better if we, if more of us collectively focused on these issues. So it's really an open invitation to be part of something bigger than ourselves. It is not about blaming or calling one, anyone out. Um, as I said, the systems that we live in are not created by any of us currently sitting in, in our seats today. Um, but we do hope everyone will join us in being accountable for how to make, how to change those systems and make them better. Kelly Griesmer, President and CEO of the Women's Fund of Central Ohio, thank you so much for joining us today on Columbus Perspective. Thank you so much for the opportunity. I really appreciate it. Why? Why do we ignore the things that give us pause, that seem out of place, that don't feel right? 
The answer to why defines who we are. So if you see something, why do you say something? I see safe for my friends. For my community. For my family. For each other. Because all of this matters. We all have something worth protecting. So why do you see safe? Report suspicious activity to local authorities. If you see something, say something. Columbus Perspective is a public affairs presentation of WBNS Radio. The opinions expressed on this program are those of its guests and do not necessarily reflect those of WBNS Radio, its staff, management, or sponsors. My muscles ached. I was tired all the time. My son had a full-blown asthma attack. It came out of nowhere. The unsettling thing about some symptoms is... I had a fever and these terrible headaches. You don't always know what's causing them. It was Lyme disease from a tick bite. I had Zika virus from a mosquito. He had a reaction to cockroach allergens. Threats to your health can come from unexpected places. Get the facts. Visit PestWorld.org. A public service message from the National Pest Management Association. I'm Shanola Hampton. Every day, millions of people face hunger. Today, I will share with you some of their experiences. I'm stuck between paying for medications or paying for food. John from Maine. After paying my bills, I can buy groceries. It's sad to say, food comes last. Alice from Oregon. I thought pantries were for less fortunate people, but anybody could be less fortunate in a day or even a second. Claire from Virginia. The Feeding America network of food banks helps provide over 6 billion meals to people in need each year. No one should have to worry where their next meal will come from. Together, we can end hunger. Learn more at feedingamerica.org. This is Columbus Perspective on The Fan. I'm Kate Burdett. The Second and Seven Foundation has a unique kind of approach to childhood literacy They want kids to read, and they partner with student-athletes to get the job done. It's a really interesting program, and that's why we're so lucky to have their executive director, Amy Hoying, joining us today on Columbus Perspective. Hi, Amy. Thanks for being here. Hey, thanks for having me. Well, it's our pleasure. We're excited to learn about Second and Seven. How, How long has the Second and Seven Foundation been around? We have been around for 25 years. This year is our 25th anniversary, which is kind of hard to believe. That's remarkable. You have donated more than 800,000 books to kids in need all across the country. And you engage high school and college athletes to volunteer across the country and inspire the next generation of readers and hopefully leaders. Tell me more about where this idea came from. Yeah, so our second and seven started in 1999 when three guys that played football for Ohio State were inspired by their community service time as student athletes. Um, Ryan Miller, Luke Fickle, and Mike Vrabel played football for Ohio State and, you know, had the opportunity to give back as student athletes reading to kids, and it just really had an impact on them. So in 1999, they hosted a very small football camp in Westerville. And with the money that they raised, they went to a bookstore and basically said, how many books can we buy with this money? And bought the books and just started making calls to local schools. Um, 
At the same time, they did a little bit of research and homework and realized that, you know, when you're in second grade around eight years old, the things that happen in your life are really impactful and they tend to stick with you and sometimes form the lens with which you see the world. And so they wanted that moment with those kids to be something those kids would really remember. So they chose to focus on second grade. And that first year, they had enough money to buy enough books for all of the second graders in seven schools. So being football players and second and seven being a key down and distance term, that seemed to fit. So that's how it all started. Wow, that's kind of genius in its simplicity and sounds sort of like a really true grassroots effort where three guys got together and said, what can we do to make some change? That's that's pretty impressive. Yeah, yeah. They really just, like I said, were inspired by the difference that they could make taking this, spending the time with a kid and just really telling them how important it was to focus on school and focus on reading, but also give that child a book so that they could remember the visit. Um, and, you know, looking back now and reflecting on 25 years, it's crazy to think the span and the reach that we've had with what just started as, you know, the second graders in seven schools here in central Ohio. For those that may not be as familiar with the rampant popularity of Ohio State football, how much would you say that the notoriety and the impact these players have as sort of personalities from the sports world, how much would you say that plays into what the students who are receiving the services, kind of how they interpret things? Well, I would say that, you know, when Second and Seven started in 1999 and, you know, those guys could call and say, hey, we're Ohio State, former Ohio State football players. As you know, Kate, here in Central Ohio, that's a golden key to a door opening, right? right so yeah. that was, a, I think, a lot of teachers, um, it was an easier yes for them to say, okay, you know, you really have a platform to make an impact on these kids. And People around here or Buckeye fans, wherever they may be, might pay a little more attention because this message is coming from a Buckeye. Now, what we've found and the reason we've been able to grow is our model of student athletes reading to kids now not only still includes Ohio State as a huge part of our program, but colleges, universities, and high schools all across the country. Because at the end of the day, the kids just love these role models and young adults who are giving them time, reading with them, showing them love, showing them inspiration, showing them compassion. And so really just student athletes in general have really had an impact on these second second graders, whether it's again here in Columbus or all across the country. And from the humble beginnings of three football players taking a few thousand dollars to a bookstore to actually creating your own line of books. Tell us about the series of kids' books that have kind of sprung forth as a result of the Second and Seven organization. Yeah, so it was a really fun um, time in our growth when we realized that, you know what, we can not only write these books ourselves, but we control the message. We're not selling these books. These are you know, we raise money so that we can create these books to be a part of our reading program. And so when we go into the schools, whether it's a school in Columbus, Ohio, or in Albuquerque, or in Florida somewhere, the kids are getting the exact same book 
and we control the message. So it's a life lesson like teamwork or make healthy choices or try your best or be a good sport. And it's all lessons that, you know, we've all used with our own kids or the teachers are talking to us about things that they want to reinforce in their classrooms. So we've been writing our books now. We're actually writing our 17th book, which is crazy to think of, but we write a new book every year in our Hog Molly series. And um, this year, I believe it will probably end up being this fall during our 20th, 25th anniversary celebration. We will give out our one millionth book in that series. Oh, my goodness. What a wonderful accomplishment. There's a lot to celebrate this year with your organization's 25th anniversary. We're talking about the Second and Seven Foundation, founded by three former Ohio State football players. Amy Hoying is their executive director. Now, I know recently you had a special day, and that was on February 7th, 2-7. What, what was done on that day as you embark upon your 25th year of, of existence? How was that celebrated? Well, we had a lot to celebrate this year. Um, since we started in 1999, we had 1999. We had a very exciting um, opening this past year with the Columbus Kids Book Bank, and so we celebrated one year in operation this year. And it is the first and only book bank in Central Ohio that not only collects new and very gently used books, but then sorts them and gets them out into the hands of kids who need them, teachers that need them for their classrooms, community organizations in Central Ohio that serve kids. Um, and we were so excited on 2-7 Day to celebrate and share you know, with people what the book bank has been able to do in just a year. We collected um, over 40,000 books in that first year and have distributed over 25,000 books in just a year. So we know that the book bank is going to be a tremendous resource for this community. And we're so excited to see what the future holds for that part of our reading program. Every nonprofit needs volunteers. Amy, what kind of volunteer opportunities are available with second and seven? We love our volunteers and and rely on them for so much. So not only can our volunteers help with our special events and fundraising events, um, but we also ask for volunteers to help operate the book bank. So we need volunteers to sort and count and distribute books. Um, we need volunteers to donate books or hold book drives. And we love with the opening of the book bank, it's really allowed us to open second and seven to everyone in the community. Whereas, you know, for the first kind of phase of second and seven, it's, you know, the student athletes reading in the second grade classrooms. But now we can engage the entire community because most people that, you know, you talk to, they say, oh, yeah, I have a box of books in the basement or in the attic or in the garage or that my kids are done reading and I don't know what to do with them. Well, now we can take them and get them into kids who we know do not own age appropriate books in their homes. And these are, are high quality, amazing books that we know are going to put a lot of smiles on a lot of kids faces. And what if there is, say, a student athlete listening who says, oh, my gosh, I would love to participate and go read with kids in their schools. How do student athletes get integrated into your program? The student athletes can get involved in a number of ways. So they can get involved individually in their community by just signing up on our website and we will help find the schools in their community. But a lot of schools, whether it's high schools or universities, 
their athletic director, their coaches will sign up. And as long as a student athlete will take the time to go read with a kid, we will ship our books anywhere, really all over the world. We've sent our books, but really anywhere in the country, um, we make it super easy. You just show up and you give the kid your time and we'll, we'll provide the book. And it's really that easy. It does sound pretty easy. Amy Hoying, executive director of Second and Seven. Is there anything we haven't talked about that you wanted to make sure you added in here today? I just think, you know, Second and Seven is around today because of amazing people in Central Ohio. Um, This is where we started. This is where our roots are and where we've been able to really grow from. we exist because of, you know, individual and corporate donations and the generosity of this community. And we're able to grow to anyone that asks because of that generosity. So our events throughout the year um, include a golf outing in the spring, you know, that same football camp that Ryan and Mike and Luke hosted in 1999 still runs today. So this year we will have our 25th football camp. Um, and then we have a fun summer book bash at the bridge. It features a car show. And those are huge for us, huge fundraisers for us to enable to keep our program growing. All of the information about the events that Amy just mentioned, as well as volunteer and donation opportunities, are online right now. Second and seven. You've got to spell the words out. Secondand7.com. Check it out. It's a wonderful program for kids to get them excited about reading. Amy Hoying. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thanks, Kate. I appreciate it. When you're high, you feel different. You think different, you talk different, you draw different, you listen to music different, but you probably knew that. Problem is, you also drive different and not in a good way. That's why driving high is illegal everywhere. So if you're high, just don't drive. Make a plan to get a sober ride. Because if you feel different, you drive different. Brought to you by NHTSA and the Ad Council. I'm a wife and the mother of two kids, and I've got a good job. Bye, Mom. See you, Mom. A pretty important job. Because of my family and my job, I really care about this neighborhood. It's a good neighborhood. Yes, there's some crime. And when I drive to work, like now, I realize that some people here don't trust the police. So the police should be reaching out to this community. And this community should reach out to the police. That's the way to make this a safer place. And when I get to work in the precinct house and put on my uniform, I can tell you as a police officer that this department is reaching out to the community and the community is doing its part. We're building partnerships. This should be happening everywhere. This is how we can all be safer. Get involved. Start the conversation. Start the conversation and help stop crime. To learn the five things you can do, go to ncpc.org slash preventviolentcrime. A message from the National Crime Prevention Council and the Bureau of Justice Assistance. Teachers are dynamic leaders, shaping a new generation. They bring a variety of perspectives from diverse backgrounds, innovating how they teach to prepare students for our fast-changing world. Achieving this takes skill and expertise. They're tireless explorers, creatively discovering a universe of solutions, telling stories, experimenting, inspiring, mentoring, connecting cultures, and connecting with each other, leading by example. Experience the unique joy of helping students thrive. Teaching is a journey that shapes lives 
Are you ready to begin? Explore teaching at teach.org, a campaign supported by the U.S. Department of Education, teach.org, and one million teachers of color. Crispy, faded, lit, baked, toasty, stoned, blazed, zooted. When you're high, there are a lot of ways to say it. But there's only one thing you need to remember. Driving under the influence of marijuana is illegal everywhere. If you feel different, you drive different. Brought to you by NHTSA and the Ad Council. You're listening to Columbus Perspective on The Fan. This week, a Franklin County grand jury indicted Pammy May on charges of aggravated murder, tampering with evidence, and abuse of a corpse in the death of five-year-old Darnell Taylor. Earlier this month, a statewide Amber Alert was issued when Taylor and May, who was Darnell's legal guardian, went missing from their South Columbus home. May was found in the Cleveland area a couple of days later and reportedly gave police information that led them to the child's body in a Columbus sewage drain. Carly Dion is a reporter with our sister station, WBNS 10TV. She conducted an exclusive interview with three of Darnell's biological relatives just before the tragic outcome of Darnell's and Pammy's disappearance was revealed. Carly, that moment when Darnell's grandfather looks at the camera and pleads for the child's return, that was hard to watch. You know, even talking about it now, I just got chills all over again Mm. because, you know, at the start before I started um, asking questions, he said to me, are you going to ask me, you know, what I would say to Pammy? And I said, well, I was planning on it. Eventually, you know, we'll get to that point in the interview. But when he asked me that first, you know, it just struck me like they so badly just want to get in contact with her because I think they truly in their hearts felt they could get through to her if they could just talk to her. Mm. And I think that's why they did the interview. And so when I asked that question, He just went to a different space. And, you know, my eyes were watering as he was just pleading for her to bring Darnell back and, you know, saying, it's Darnell, you love him. You could just see the emotion on full display there. You can hear more of my interview with 10TV's Carly Dion on the latest edition of the Ohio News Network Daily Podcast. I'm John O'Hurley, and I support Paralyzed Veterans of America because our heroes have sacrificed so much for our independence. I had just come home. I had noticed my legs were swelling. Next thing I know, it was three weeks later. I was paralyzed. PVA has brought me back to life. While parachuting with my platoon, my parachute didn't open. It left me paralyzed. I just don't think my family would be as happy as they are without the support that I received from Paralyzed Veterans of America. For more than 75 years, Paralyzed Veterans of America has kept a promise to never leave a fallen hero behind. That's why Paralyzed Veterans of America is providing specialized medical care, life-changing treatments, benefits our heroes earned, the jobs they want, and the accessible vehicles and homes they need. Our Paralyzed Veterans have helped us live the lives we enjoy today. It's our turn to give them the best lives possible. To learn more, go to pva.org today. Within 15 seconds of logging onto social media, the algorithm has your daughter in its crosshairs. It sends her a steady flow of images telling her she isn't thin enough, pretty enough. They invade her brain, causing body dysmorphia, anxiety, depression, leading to the worst rates of eating disorders, self-harm, and suicide we have ever known. All while she's sitting right next to you, 
on her phone. Congress knows, but it refuses to act. Don't let her suffer the secret pain alone. Use your voice. Demand a plan. Join us at the Center for Countering Digital Hate. Protectingkidsonline.org. Because it's up to you to protect your children from social media nightmares. Join us for her, for your daughter. This is Columbus Perspective on The Fan. Now courtesy of our sister station, 10TV, here's Doug Petcash from his Sunday morning public affairs program, Face the State. A new edition can be seen this morning at 1130 on 10TV. Voters are already casting their ballots in Ohio's March 19th presidential primary. Early voting runs through March 17th. One of the biggest contests they'll be deciding is who will be the Republican nominee for U.S. Senate. Democratic U.S. Senator Sherrod Brown is running for his fourth term representing Ohio. He is unopposed in the Democratic primary. Three Republicans are vying to be the candidate to challenge him in the November general election. The very high-profile race pits State Senator Matt Dolan, Secretary of State Frank LaRose, and businessman Bernie Marino against each other for the Republican nomination. Political ads for this race are running in heavy rotation on TV, radio, and online. I wanted to delve deeper into their stances on some of the key issues affecting Ohioans, Americans, and the world. So I've invited all of them to discuss their positions and ideas here on Face the State. Secretary LaRose will be my guest next Sunday. I've also reached out to the Marino campaign and am waiting to hear back. This past week, I talked with Senator Dolan for nearly a half hour. Dolan is serving his second term in the state Senate and is the chairman of the Finance Committee. He's a lawyer who previously served three terms in the Ohio House. His family owns the Cleveland Guardians Major League Baseball team. We talked about a wide range of topics surrounding domestic and foreign policy and national security, starting with immigration and the southern border. Well, Senator, one of the big issues that we see all the time in the news as well as in the political ads is about securing the southern border. What, as a U.S. senator, would you do to secure the southern border? Yeah, well, I think your question is all the time. You could have said that for the last 30 years. Uh, the border has been an issue for the last 30 years. Under the Biden administration, it's gone from an issue to an absolute crisis. And so as a result of that, we need to take some measures that may actually get done. And that is we must secure and seal our border. Now, drastically, that means for a period of time, we must seal the border, which means we're temporarily suspending immigration into this country. Totally. To immigration, not, not tourism, not trade. Right. But here's what we're doing in that short period of time. We're building more wall where necessary. We're getting Border Patrol back up to the numbers they should be at, because under Biden they've been reduced to 50 percent less. Give them law enforcement authority to act. Put the technology where it needs to be. When I was down at the border in Arizona, a lot of the technology that Biden turned off was made right here in Ohio. So it's, not, it's an economic issue for us as well. We need to, to get back into the Remain in Mexico program. That means when we start up again, you're, you're not entering this country until your asylum has been approved prior to entering the, 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 the country. We have to suspend all uh, government aid to the immigrants who are here t already. Uh, and you know, that may seem drastic in your response, but go back in 1995 and... President Clinton, in his State of the Union address, said the exact same thing. But how can you just cut off aid to them if they're here and, um, you know, needing to survive? Well, because they're, 
you know, once we, if we secure and seal the border, then they're able to get H-1 and B-1 per work visas or H-2 or, or B-2 or anything, you know, there's other equivalents thereof. But only when we secure our border. Mm -hmm. Because we have to partly uh, de, you know, we, the incentive to get here uh, is what's driving a lot of this immigration. I mean, if, you, if, if California right now is providing free health care. Uh, for illegal immigrants. Now, I know in Ohio, uh, there's folks that are struggling without health care, and you know, but yet money's going to them. Uh, then look, we have to. There's a lot we have to get done. Then we have to go to Mexico City and say, look, that aid and that trade that we're we're working with you on. Look, that could be suspended too, if you're not going to help us defeat the cartels. And then finally, the, the uh, fentanyl has to be declared a weapon of mass destruction. That's not a campaign slogan. That means we can stop ships coming from China that are bringing the product that the, cart the cartels are making the fentanyl into our country. Would you support any level of amnesty? Well, you know, amnesty in this campaign has been defined a whole lot of ways. Uh, and, again, what this means is... Remain in Mexico is an amnesty program. It just simply means you are not entering our country until your amnesty has been approved. So you either stay in Mexico or you stay in your host country. What's happening today is anyone just claiming amnesty is welcomed in, and then they say your hearing's not for another two years. Mm -hmm. So they're just in our country, and we don't know who they are. We don't know if they intend to do their hearings. Would you have supported the bipartisan deal that, that almost yeah. got through Congress? So I support the idea of people working together to try to solve a problem. But as I mentioned before, this is now a crisis. It's not an issue anymore. So when the Democrats uh, finally you know, came out with a bill, they had, they had Republican support mm -hmm. that continued to allow some form of immigration to occur, whether you call it encounters, whether you call it a crossover, it didn't matter. That's a non-starter right now because of, because of all the things we just talked about, is we, we have got to get our security up to speed, uh, and we're not there. So I, I think the t a temporary suspension of the immigration, which is what House Bill 2 or H.R. 2 would have done for a period of time until we get everything else done, I think is, has more of a chance to pass. Because why it hasn't fixed in 30 years is because everyone wants to talk about act, act, absolutely every issue regarding immigration. And as a result, nothing gets done and our border remains open. I'm going to switch topics now to another big national topic as well, of course, as here in Ohio. You're pro-life. Um, you have said you'd support a federal limit on access to abortion. What would your limit be with, yeah. for access? Well, first, let's back up. So I'm pro-life, and I agree with the th uh, I accept the three exceptions, uh, life of the mother, rape, and incest. And what I have said is if what's happening, I respect Ohio voters that that's what they want. But in the last election, we passed a bill that, or a, a law that allows for late-term abortion, which is really abortion any time during the pregnancy. I do not support that. And so if I saw that happening all across the country, that we're basically having abortion on demand, then I would look to a federal relief and say that, that I think what's happening in our country is not in step with what most Americans want to see happen. So, so you wouldn't push for that right off the bat? No, no. Um, you've said you'd support 
uh, what Ohio voters wanted. It was 57 to 43 percent. Mm-hmm. So is that top of mind on this issue for you going forward and, and you know, besides uh, what you're talking about with the late yeah. term? I think as Republicans, we better understand our state, and I do. And what the, what the issue one vote was is the Ohioans are saying we want a period of time upon which abortion is available. And we want the, the three exceptions as part of that plan. Um, that's what Ohioans, I think, voted for. I don't think they understood the late-term abortion of it. That reflects my pro-life career, which is also reduced abortions by 37%. Sherrod Brown wants to make this race about abortion because he knows my opponents have called for, Frank LaRose has called for a six-week national ban. Bernie Marino has said no exceptions whatsoever. I think those are out of step with what Ohioans showed that they wished for in, in issue one, and therefore they're going to have a hard time against Sherrod Brown. I think Sherrod Brown, if he makes a race about abortion with me, then he's going to have to defend why he's for on-demand abortion, why he voted against the Save a Child Born Alive Act, why he wants your taxpayer dollars to go to pay for abortions. You know, so I think my career is pro-life that reflects the majority of Ohioans. Who do you support for president? Well, I think Donald Trump will be the Republican nominee, and that's who I'll support. Do you worry about his age, about President Biden's age? Look, that's for the voters to decide. I mean, that, that's what our system is. The two parties seem to be nominating these two gentlemen, and that's why we have a vote, and people will decide. Are these, these gentlemen? I, I, I know this, is that uh, President Trump has been looked at a hundred different ways by a thousand, feels like a thousand different prosecutors, and not a single one said he doesn't have the mental capacity to defend himself. One special prosecutor looks at President Biden and says, we're not even going to pursue charges because we're afraid about his ability to defend himself. Do you believe that with all of the charges that President Trump does face in the different cases, um, criminal and civil, that he should be disqualified or should he be able to keep running? Yeah, well, again, that's what elections are for. There is no disqualifying event, according to our Constitution, in any of these cases. Uh, what, would, what, what will happen is the voters will decide whether or not what's happening in those cases is that an impediment or not. But he's not barred from running because of these cases. And I, and I think at the end of the day, I think they're going to see the direction of our country under President Biden is not going in the right direction. Uh, people feel it. I know it. I travel the state. It's $11,000 more per family in the state because of the, of the Biden administration. So I, I think those will be the issues that people ultimately will be voting on. So what is it that you do see as the greatest threat to the economy? Well, I, it's a continued role of government sp- uh, spending. Uh, because that will continue to drive the inflation up. That, if the government spending also deflates the incentive to work, I, I think what's going to happen is you're going to drive businesses away uh, from our country again uh, because we won't have the workforce necessary. Uh, so I, I think what we have to do is get back to what I've done in Ohio. And in my time as a state senator and legislature, I've cut taxes, I've reduced regulations, expanded school choice, invested in infrastructure, did the things that make it possible for businesses and families to thrive. I mean, Intel is here in a large part because of the work that the Governor DeWine has done and I've done in the legislature. We need to create that nationwide. So manufacturing and, and uh, producers want to come back to 
United States. That creates economic activity. That's what will provide uh, for for stronger family, stronger wages. Uh, That's where we have to get back to, not looking to see if the government's going to solve all our problems. You talked about the rising expenses. What can be done about affordable housing, inflation, the cost of living? Yeah, well, as I said, the first thing you need to do, you create an economic uh, engine. Uh, and that is you make you make the United States a place where businesses, small businesses, large businesses want to thrive. We've done it in Ohio. I want to go to the United States and produce the same. Then And then workforce development. Again, we do a pretty good job here in Ohio. We need to expand that to the United States so that manufacturers know. Housing is an issue. And if we don't, there's two things we have to accomplish there. Again, if you let economic activity grow, the interest rates will come down. It makes it more affordable. And then what we've done in Ohio is we've looked at the problem and said, okay, we're going to provide uh, housing tax credits to encourage the building of single-family homes. We're going to give tax credits for the refurbishing of single-family homes. We're going to give tax credits for multi-tenant homes to recognize that we want young couples to buy a home. We want factories and manufacturers to come here and say, look, my workers have a place to go, and that's what we've done with Intel. So, you know, you, you, you let the private sector lead, and the government will supplement where necessary, whereas under Brown and Biden, they lead with the government at the expense of the private sector. What can be done about gun violence on the federal level? Yeah, first of all, I understand that I am a strong supporter of the Second Amendment because the Second Amendment says that you have an absolute right uh, to, to own a gun. And I have supported that my entire career. Um, but I also have said that we need to look at do, do suicidal and homicidal individuals, should they have the right to purchase a gun? Should we not recognize that a majority, vast majority of these crimes are being done by individuals who legally should not have had that gun in the first place, uh, and they get it done through what's called straw purchasing. Mm-hmm. That's what I've been trying to talk about. And I think as Republicans, we better recognize that there are individuals who um, are owning guns who we, we should be able to say, without violating the Second Amendment, yeah, we, we, we should probably make sure criminals who, have, who are violent or, or have drug convictions shouldn't have guns. And there are things we could have done, and I, I introduced a bill that would have done that. Do you support things like red flag laws or stricter background checks with that in mind? Yeah, so red flags law is another one of those words that just gets, yeah. gets the multiple interpretations. What, what I support is the idea that if suicidal and homicidal individuals, if we can get them the help necessary, we should get them the help before they have the ability to go purchase a gun and commit the tragedy. That's what I support. And every time these tragedies occur, we rightly say mental health is a portion of this. Well, I just didn't talk about it. I did something. In Ohio, you're going to see six regional health mental health crisis centers appear all over the state. And that is designed to make sure we get individuals help before they commit a tragedy. It's also a result of me going around listening to sheriffs Mm -hmm. because we have 20% of our jails are filled with folks who haven't committed a crime, but they need mental help. Mm -hmm. And we have nowhere else to put them. So now we have a place to put them so that the law enforcement officers are acting as law enforcement officers. Our jails are, are you know, putting those folks who have incarceration who have committed a crime. You know, so it is not just talking about it. It's actually doing things about it. Those are Senator Dolan's stances on a few of the big domestic issues. Up next, our conversation continues on foreign policy, including the danger Russia opposes and what America's role should be in Ukraine and Israel as conflicts continue to rage on.
One. Dangers rarely lie out in the open, so no matter where you live, it's important to know harmful pests can hide in and around your home. Here I come! Rodents and cockroaches are drawn to food waste and garbage. I know you're out here. Ticks lurk in tall grasses, and mosquitoes lay eggs in standing water. I can hear you. Rodents, ticks, and mosquitoes can all spread dangerous diseases. I gotcha. Seek the facts you need at pestworld.org. A public service message from the National Pest Management Association. When it comes to a gun suicide attempt, all it takes is a moment. Heather and I had an argument just like any other couple. I was lost. I had snapped. I had a gun, and I was going to take my own life. Heather helped me realize that there was still a life to live for the better of myself, my family. My weapon is now safely put away. A moment of crisis can happen to anyone. Store your guns, locked, unloaded, and away from ammo. Hear more safe stories at endfamilyfire.org. Brought to you by Brady and the Ad Council. My name is Luis Fonsi. A lot of people don't know enough about Alzheimer's. Don't be afraid to ask questions. Don't be afraid to get help. No one should face Alzheimer's or other dementias alone. Resources are available at alz.org and by calling the Alzheimer's Association's 24-7 free hotline at 800-272-3900. This is Columbus Perspective on The Fan. Here's more from Face the State, courtesy of 10TV. Today we're focusing on the race for the Republican nomination for U.S. Senate in Ohio and my interview with one of the three candidates, State Senator Matt Dolan of Chagrin Falls in the Cleveland area. Now we turn to his stances on some of the big foreign policy issues, starting with Russia. Last week we learned of the death of Russian opposition leader Alexei Navalny uh, in a Russian penal colony. Do you believe Vladimir Putin is responsible? Well, of course. Uh, I mean, the fact that he's in a penal colony in the first place is because of Putin. Uh, So we have to understand in America, Putin is not our friend. He is our adversary. He is our enemy. And that that we have to understand as America that we made it, we made, you know, let's just talk about the Ukrainian situation. We made an agreement with Ukraine in 1994, hey, you dismantle your nuclear weapons. And in return, we understand that if Russia were to invade, we will provide conventional weapons for you. Well, in 1994, we knew Russia could be a problem. Well, in 2022, it showed it is a problem. And, you know, America, we need need to understand this is about our security because our allies and our enemies know that the world's safer if America keeps its promises. How dangerous is the Putin-led Russia? It's extremely dangerous. It's, it's, it, it's, it's dangerous both in terms of our security and our economy. It's dangerous with our security because if, if we roll over and allow uh, Putin to win in Ukraine, first of all, we, we've lost a sovereign nation. Second of all, Ohio boys and girls are going to be sent to Poland. They're going to be sent to the Baltics uh, uh, to defend NATO. I have two nephews in the armed services right now. I mean, that's Ukraine's not asking for American men and women. They're asking for ammunition. Mm-hmm. President Trump gave them ammunition. President Obama and Biden gave them blankets until the, until the invasion. So making a strong Ukraine with ammunition weapons is best interest of America. And by the way, there's also a lot of the dollars, over 60% staying right here in the United States. Well, um, you know, there's big debate right now in in Congress about whether to continue funding Ukraine. Um, Would you support those 
uh, efforts to keep that money flowing and, and the military aid as well. Yeah, so that's important. Yes, the military aid, weapons and ammunition, that's what they need. Should we have better accounting? Should the Biden administration be better? Yes. But I do not believe that we should abandon the Ukrainians. I mean, this, they're at dire straits right now. I mean, we can't afford Putin to win. We also, if you send me to Washington, we also have to get our domestic budgeting in order. Uh, and so uh, we haven't had a budget now, and I think it's been like 20-some years. And, you know, no family, no business does that. We don't do it in the state. I've balanced four budgets. They've been called the most conservative budgets in Ohio history. We can do the same thing in Washington. That allows Americans to understand where it, where is all my tax dollars going. You might have to make a constitutional amendment to make that happen in Washington like there is here in Ohio. Yeah, but, but also you could start the process by, by expo- you know, having a budget process and calling in the agency and saying, how are you spending your money? I mean, it's pretty basic. Yeah. What should America's role be and where do you think that the, uh, this conflict, the war in Gaza between Israel and Hamas should go? Yeah, well, first, as we have to recognize that Israel has the absolute right to defend itself against an Iranian-backed terrorist organization. This is not two countries. Hamas and Hezbollah are terrorist organizations. And so they will, there will never be peace in that region, and Israel will never feel safe if Hamas is, is allowed to continue. So our role is to allow them to do that, to provide, as they, as they request, uh, defensive and offensive weapons. But our role is a little more expanded in the Middle East because I do think we have a, a, a responsibility to be present because this is really a proxy war, and Iran wants to flex his muscles. Mm-hmm. And if America continues to show weakness, and by the way, allowing Putin to win in Ukraine is weakness that Iran will take advantage of. So we need to have a presence there. What about the, the innocent people in Gaza? It's terrible. It's a terrible war. It's horrible. Um, but the reality is, is Hamas... If they continue to exist, we won't advance the peace that we need to do in the Middle East. I mean, look, part of this is because the Abraham Accords that President Trump did, you know, these making some of these Arab countries more economically viable so young men and women can look to their own future instead of saying, I need to get radicalized. The, the Israel and the Saudi Arabian, uh, Saudi Arabia were on the verge of also having an agreement that that this terrorist act disrupted. So it is horrible what's happening in, in Palestine, and the people are suffering. I don't minimize that. Mm-hmm. But the suffering's not going to end yeah. if, if, if Hamas continues. Finally today, I asked Senator Dolan if he wins the race for Senate, what would be the focus of his first year in office? Would he sit back and learn or dive right in? That's the thing with me. Uh, I have the most experience, so I will get in immediately. And the two things I want to focus on are securing our border, as we talked about at the top, and we need to make sure that our fiscal house gets in order. You don't spend more than you you bring in. It's what we do in Ohio. It's what you do at your house. That's what we're going to do in Washington. And that does mean making very difficult decisions. But one thing I think Ohioans know about me is that throughout my career, whether it be in the private or public sector, I make the difficult decisions that at the end of the day are in the best interest of Ohio. They're not always in my best political career, trust me. But I think we need to send somebody to Washington who wants to take ownership of these issues. Because no other business can you just blame someone else for why something doesn't get done. So I'm telling folks, let me take ownership of these issues and we'll get them done. 
One of Dolan's opponents in the race for the Republican Senate nomination, Ohio Secretary of State Frank LaRose, will be my guest next Sunday here on Face the State. I've also reached out to the Marino campaign for an interview and am waiting to hear back. Again, that's Doug Petcash, courtesy of our sister station, WBNS 10 TV, from his Sunday morning public affairs program, Face the State. A new edition can be seen this morning at 1130 on 10 TV. This has been Columbus Perspective, a weekly public affairs presentation of The Fan, heard each Sunday morning at 6 on WBNS AM 1460 ESPN Columbus, and Sunday morning at 7 on WBNS FM. Sports Radio, 97.1, The Fan.